everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to discuss the 2021 theatrical film slash streamer Godzilla vs. Kong. And this came out on March 31st on HBO Max, and it was also released uh, in theaters in the same day. This film has was made for a budget of 150 to 200 million dollars, but it made 390 million, and I believe it's still grossing. The break-even point was 330 million. So this is a very long-winded way of saying the film was not only successful, it was very successful by um, COVID standards because it was the other two. It was number three for the uh, 2021, but it was the number one. It looks like the number one American release. The others were, I believe, uh, Chinese. It feels like it's the first post-pandemic blockbuster that kind of broke through to the to the masses again. Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, and it was uh, quite an adventure, Jake. I mean, this movie references all sorts of movies, all sorts of directors. I was surprised. I was shocked. Um, yeah, let me just quickly stop you there before you give anything away, because uh, this is something I, I was pretty proud of myself about uh, in terms of my first thought of the film. After watching the opening credits, which take about, I don't know, 100 seconds, maybe 200 seconds, I, I looked to myself, and mind you, this is after I spent about 20 minutes outside smoking, getting ready for the film, Right. that I was not nearly high enough for the film, even at, even at that point where I found myself. I, would just, I was like, wow, just not even close. And the reason for that is that the opening credits are a video game. Uh, it's really like a video game sequence showing the kills of the respective monsters. And I both liked it. To me, it served the purpose of the tenant scene we reference frequently, where the don't think about it, feel it. And when they try to explain time inversion, where yeah. it's the movie makers telling the audience to just sit back, relax, and don't worry about actual logic. To me, right. the, op- the opening effect had that same effect, where it's like, this is a video game monster match between these two franchises. And what I also like was, I think it did a much better job than the story did of trying to tie them together through some joint mythology. So that was one thing, like two minutes into the film, I feel like is probably the best storytelling you get um, in terms of those video game credits, like letting you know what you're going to get. Um, but sorry, I, I cut you off. I just, I was wanted to say that because that was like, this film very much was an experience. Like yes. it, talk about breaking through. We're good and bad. So I'm sorry. That was the only thing I wanted to call. Well, and it was like, you know, I didn't think I kind of had seen the recent Godzilla movie with, with Kyle Chandler. I didn't think much of it. I had seen Skull Island. I really kind of enjoyed the first like act of that movie. But then like the other two thirds of it wasn't that great. What was enjoyable about this one was it was like it was very sort of uh, epic and engaging from the beginning. And it, I could also tell it was like they were saving stuff for the end. And so it did pull me through all the way to the, to the end of the movie. But just like everything you go through along the way, it's almost like five or six different movies. I mean, it's like, uh, and I would, I actually think the protagonist is King Kong himself. I, and I've never felt that way. 
about one of these monster movies before. Like, usually there's an actual human protagonist. But in this, I mean, most of the humans you don't care too much about. Even the humans they're trying to get you to, like, get emotionally involved with. It's kind of like, hey, I could care less about these people. I'm just here for the monsters, you know? <laughs> okay, I agree. I, I didn't quite think of it that way until you said it. There were definitely, there was a lot of Kong love here. Like they save yeah. him and the, they basically save him in the first battle, give him a weapon for the second. And honestly, Kong should have died like three different times, maybe four. But the, he has a lot of plot armor. But And then I just think like, I guess technically we descended from both the, the, the lizard and the monkey. But it feels like there's just a little bit of that uh, species love towards the monkey in this. I, I just, yeah. they should have done a better job of making him more formidable. Because the other thing was, I, I also saw, I've seen the previous movies that led up to this. They leveled up Godzilla. Like, he looked, like, armored up. Like, he I, he looked more yeah. formidable in this than in previous ones. And he was whipping out that nuclear breath a lot more. Uh... Also, it was going into orbit. The whole concept of his breath, I think if he were to let it loose once, would rip a hole through our entire ozone layer. Or or rip a hole in the earth that would destroy us. But I don't want to get into that. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, the movie, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw it back to you. It just, it was, it was an experience. It was an experience, and it was, you know, it's also kind of funny because it is like King Kong is very much, I want to say, like a, a Hollywood, you know, story. The original 32 is uh, King Kong is a very famous movie. The other one that's like famous and that I remember is like, I think it's the 72 version with uh, Bridges. And it's like, that's the one where, you know, King Kong falls off the Empire State Building at the end and you can hear his heartbeat. And then it stops at the very end and the girl is like crying. And it's like, it's kind of like, I actually did get emotional for King Kong in that 70s version. Um but, you know, this one, I think, harkens back more to, like, the 50s, you know, Japanese Godzilla movies and stuff. And there was one back then where they did do this, and it was, like, a joint venture to get King Kong to fight Godzilla. But, it, you know, the Asian side of it, obviously, is much more involved with, like, they were affected by uh, nuclear holocaust post-World War II, and Godzilla is kind of this weird metaphor for destruction for them and just, like, you know, just how their culture dealt with, you know, post-World War II destruction is just interesting that they decided to have this giant lizard, fire-breathing monster kind of represent that. And I even That's think us. there's like... A, That's America. Right. <laughs> and I think there's like a... There was kind of a deep reading I was having while watching it last night. And I know they made this before the pandemic, but like... Just having an enemy that's that big and visible instead of it being a virus was kind of like nice. Where it's like, hey... There's the monster. Like, that's what we need to stop instead of, like, worrying about a virus that you can't see in the air. I think there was something going on with that with the modern viewing. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. These Godzilla and King Kong movies are super goofy, and, like, nobody's really watching them for seriousness. But, like, they do all have this subtext to them, and it's like, I was happy to at least it did have that part of it. And it's like, that continues the tradition of these movies. And I think it helped with the popularity of this movie at the end of the day. Cause even some of the cinephiles are kind of giving it credit and for, you know, inside the genre of like these monster movies, Godzilla, I also think this is one of the best ones. Like it's better than that Sarah Jessica Parker, you know, Matthew project Godzilla movie. I think it's better than the Peter Jackson King Kong movie. I mean, Whoa, also, like, I, let's dig into that. You think it's better than that? Yes, I do. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna say we're gonna put a pin in that. I'm adding that to okay. the list because we're definitely 
we can get into that. Uh, like I said, the, the ones that I think are better, you really, I'd go back to that 70s King Kong, and I'd go back to the 32 King Kong, just for the impact of them. What I, the other thing that I was like just kind of amazed by in this movie is just like the amount of film references, both highbrow and lowbrow, were unbelievable. You know, at certain points, there's a there's a couple of Kubrick references. At certain points, there's a like I could I think there's a Congo reference with the sign language. I think there's a Lethal Weapon two reference at the in the end battle where Kong pops his shoulder back into its socket. There's references all over the place to different movies, and there's a ton of references like inside the King Kong Godzilla worlds. And it was just, I mean, for it to kind of be doing its own thing, but also be that referential and meta for all these other movies, I thought was kind of cool, actually. I didn't think it was like ripping anything off. I just thought it was making a lot of nods to movies. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the 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 uh, Hollow Earth stuff, I guess, too. But I, like that felt like a nod to Journey to the Center of the Earth and stuff. And it, I mean, just a ton of movies this thing referenced. So you, met, you mentioned it. I say we dive into him right now. Adam Wingard, as the director, I came away from this film with an interesting take. I think like the biggest issues were the story and the characters, but what I really liked were the performances and the spectacle. Yes. And so I, in terms of, without knowing what actually went down, I would give credit to the director, Adam Wingard, who I know from the guest and Blair Witch and Death Note. I actually haven't seen, but I heard it was good. Um, did not like the Blair Witch movie. I liked The Guest. I liked Your Next. Um, so I knew who he was. I knew he was a horror guy. I thought he was a good choice for this. Sorry, I think horror and comedy directors make the best directors for these types of films, unless they've made one yeah. before. Uh, and they say with comedy, it's about timing. It's basically the same thing for both. It's about timing and emotion. And you're both just coming from different ends, from positive or negative, and the horror and the comedy. Or sometimes the same, like if you're using like awkward comedy, getting too deep here. <laughs> I liked him for the pick. I left this film wanting to see his next film. But I, the reason I'm going here is because I'm curious if you, I feel like you're so much better at me when it comes to like trying to decipher who's responsible for what, or when it comes to assessing the director. Curious to know what your take was on him specifically or as a director, or in, like, what you kind of want to see next from him? What I, I mean, what I enjoyed most about the direction was that the, you know, what you want, the meat and potatoes of this movie are these giant monsters and the battle scenes, and it's like, you want those scenes to work and make sense and have uh, tension and uh, emotion and, like, all that, and uh, I actually thought he pulled that off. I mean, when you get to those scenes, it's like, you're enjoying yourself. I mean, you're enjoying the fight between King Kong and Godzilla in that water. You're nervous about Kong. He's swallowing water. It's like you're you're worried he's not going to make it through that fight and stuff. And so the fact that those action scenes, you can see everything that's happening geographically. It's not confusing. You know, that Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie was so confusing in the action scenes, I felt. Like there were buildings falling over and tails whipping. And you never, like, had a full-on wide view of like what was happening with that monster i felt like it was always like in the shadows or something I and i felt like this was a much better it's like in broad daylight i can see what is happening with these monsters i think the mistake with that M M broderick godzilla film was they tried to treat godzilla like jaws yes. and like so the action was he was always popping out of nowhere but 
I mean, you don't need to be in New York to be in any city. Right. Anything yeah. crashing through buildings is going to make some noise. That also wasn't a very big call. Like, it wasn't a big big Godzilla in that film. Like, it wasn't right, bigger yeah. than all the buildings. I, there, and there was a Jaws reference in that water scene, too, when the when Godzilla's kind of dragging one of the ships by the anchor, and you can't see him, but you can see the ship being dragged. And I was like, oh, that's a great, you know, it's like, he did stuff like that, that's just subtle, and people film people get it, but it also just works in the movie, and it's kind of cool, and it's just like, it doesn't, you know, it's like, it just felt like it was the right kind of touches. It wasn't too much, it wasn't, you know, it was just like, it's a nice gentle nod. I, I couldn't agree more, and I, I well... I, sh- I can't say I couldn't agree more. I really liked that scene. I thought he had real style in certain places. It yes, didn't occur yep. to me. like I, Oh, I realized it was familiar. I didn't put it together with Jaws, but it makes a million percent sense. And I felt like that was the thing about the film. While like, yeah, there are definitely some flaws, which I'm sure we're going to dive into shortly. But um, what I liked about it was I felt like he, again, the opening was great. Like, if, well, just watch the opening. You know what you're going to get. It is not like it's going to be sit back, relax, have fun. Don't overthink it, but just like enjoy these two monsters are going to fight and we're going to try and have that make sense. Right. Um, so just sit back and see what happens. And then they don't even try and really make it make sense. They just try and have fun. Like each scene yeah, about making you. And like, that's what you should be doing. I mean, it's like, you got to be having fun in this kind of movie. Otherwise it, it should, it, it'll feel like a drag, like that Sarah Jessica Parker movie. It's just like you don't want that. You want the fun kind of like get me to the next action scene and like somebody say something funny and it's just like keep it moving, you know. Nail it exactly. And the other thing I just want to quickly touch on: the action is great in general, but you mentioned it, so I just want to dive in for a second. Yes, fight on the aircraft carriers is one of the coolest scenes I've seen in a while. Like, was that your favorite fight sequence in the movie? It was. I actually liked the the end one, which is really like three fights in one. The, right. But I really liked that. I was just thinking, it is so clever. Like, of course you're going to have an aircraft, like there'll be a fleet of aircraft carriers to bring him. And like, yeah, okay. I don't, again, not a mathematician. I doubt they could both stand on it given how large they are without it falling over. But again, I'm not, again, I'm not a scientist. I don't care. It makes sense to me. Right. Have them fight on the aircraft carrier. So it's not a complete one-sided thing. For Godzilla, the only thing that I didn't like about it, I also before I ruined that, I liked how they resolved it, how they had the humans trick Godzilla, and how they tricked. And I also like it made sense because the humans helped Godzilla previously. So to have them like, I just thought it made sense. It was just enough to kind of get through that. It was a great way to have this awesome fight. Where I was like, as someone who watches all these Marvel and comic book movies, there are a lot of great fights that end just like abruptly and like nonsensically it was a way to resolve it that made sense that was like to your point it was just pushing it like yeah it again i, I agree yeah, i think that, the titan would have killed the other titan but it makes sense i agree with you i think the direct like the action the, that sequence is probably the most impressive directing wise you know between between that part where the ship rolls with kong and he comes back up and then that part where he like jumps a ship to another aircraft carrier to like confront godzilla both of those maneuvers were great, and it's like, it all made sense on the screen, which is the most important part. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would say I, I, that that's really the thing to me that's like why I would put this above some of these other monster movies from the past because I just think, like you said, a lot of a lot of the ones in the past are more of like a hide and seek, like peekaboo type of thing, 
and this is just like what you want. It's front and center, the monster. You see what they're doing. You know when King Kong's throwing a punch. It's just, it's it's so much more enjoyable for the viewer instead of playing those. You know, it's like that stuff works for Jaws. You know, you can play those shadow games and stuff in Jaws or like the Hitchcock movie. When you got King Kong Godzilla, you don't need to be hiding them in the shadows. <laughs> exactly, and that I think is what Jaws is a horror movie. Yeah. Godzilla is a kaiju horror movie. And those are two, like, kaiju be- monster is different than, like, a wolf monster or, or a, like, an actual, like, whatever, a werewolf, whatever you call it. And kaiju, you need to show the kaiju. Cause, like, right, yeah, you, you're right. you want the spectacle, like you yeah. said. Yeah. And so I think they did a great job here. And then also, like, but your point, like, they play with it. Like, with him, like, with the jaws, like, lurking around. Like, right. they, they do a great job. Uh, the only thing about the fights I didn't love and I understand why they did it for the story I wish King Kong on solid ground with that weapon had like beaten Godzilla it just didn't make sense like I guess my, my take okay, is I that, can give you my take on what I'm like kind of what happened there I think okay actually my, let's do it we're talking about okay yeah, yeah. Let's, my, let's get into the let's get into why the fights went the way they went all right my so take. we're agreed on the first fight yeah. Okay, so let's or, move to the to that last act. Sure, sure. That fight, it, my, it, I felt like I actually felt like one on one, no weapons involved, right? That Godzilla was kind of the superior monster, and that he could have beaten Kong. You know, there's that point where it's like Kong hits him around with the axe or whatever, and thinks he's kind of one, and then Godzilla just gets mad at him and goes on all fours and starts biting him and stuff, and then Godzilla or then Kong's like down for the count for a little bit there until they like jump started or whatever. But I felt like, uh, and especially because in the Godzilla movie, he beats like two other Titan, uh, like animals or whatever. He beats the three headed monster yeah. thing. Right. And the Gamora. Oh, whatever. I forgot. Yeah. He really kicked yeah. ass. And so it's good. like Kong really hasn't, doesn't have that kind of record, you know? And it's like, in my opinion, Godzilla, you know, he beats those two monsters and he pretty much KOs Kong like twice in this movie and it was really he just needed kong's help for mecha godzilla but i do hear you know if like if kong has the, his his weapon or his tool charged up to the max and he takes a swipe at godzilla i do feel like that should kind of rip through his neck type of thing and that isn't what happened when that when he took that swing yeah <laughs> i do feel like as someone who overthinks and dissects too many fight scenes from comic book movies I do think there was a bet like where he let up on Godzilla where he thought he had Godzilla beat. Yeah. And like that was when Godzilla went on all fours and kind of like he never pressed the attack. Um, now, what's so funny is just now I'm thinking about it. The U.S. is Godzilla, but also Japan's Godzilla. Well, yeah. The metaphor in this movie, I think, kind of shifts to the King Kong representing the West and Godzilla representing the East. Good for them. They got a. I mean, they they definitely got the better end in that deal. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the King Kong metaphor. We we don't. I mean, have the. I mean, it extends back to slavery and all. Yeah, yeah. I without you, I think you and I both acknowledge that the monkey gorilla metaphor can also in chains be, can easily yes easily yes. we understand the reference. The other thing, the thing in this movie we got to get into, Jake. Now is this uh, hollow earth. Um, situation here and uh, I, at a certain point this is, so it's like Kong and Godzilla have this fight in the water 
And then they're like, you know what? Let's get the helicopters out and just airlift them to Antarctica. And I don't know quite where they were in the ocean at that point, but that seems like a long helicopter flight with a thousand, I mean, 10,000 pound gorilla, however much King Kong weighs and your five helicopters. That just seems like a tough, tough maneuver. But they get them out to Antarctica and there's this hole that leads to the center of hollow earth confirming all the paranoia and suspicions of uh, countless YouTube conspiracy theorists, I guess. They kind of take that and just run with it. And suddenly you're in like a 2001 Odyssey third act situation with King Kong as Bowman. And uh, you, you go to the other side and you get to this hollow earth place. And it's one of these places where it's like, it's cylindrical is what I want to say. And the gravity is always on the ground beneath you. And um, what did you just, and like everything inside there, it's like the land of the dinosaurs again, from Skull Island in the thir in 32 movie with, you know, all these references start popping up inside that place. Um, Jake, your take on that situation. <laughs> Seth, as someone who's familiar with the hollow earth conspiracy theory, <laughs> you just bungled into something we're going to need a whole lot of time for us, a whole lot more time for. So we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to okay. come back because we are at 28. Hello, everyone. Uh, I hope you all went to the bathroom, had a water. Because as I said, Seth, kind of, uh, for someone who's not familiar with conspiracy theories like myself, uh, <laughs> Seth uh, kind of just stumbled into a little bit of a trap here. He, he asked me about Hollow Earth, and I, I just need to correct him. Seth. There's more than one hollow earth. There's a couple hollow earths you need to know about. There's more than one. Well, there's apparently one, but there's different reasons or inhabitants of each of them, according to the powers oh. that be, or the, or you know, the the talk boys, the boring right. the the boring dudes who are just making it up, whatever you want to call. It. But someone who's familiar with all of it. One Nazis. The Nazis are in there. Yes. The rumor, wow. conspiracy theory number one the Nazis, uh, through the Vril Society, made contact with aliens who live in Hollow Earth, the Hollow Earth, which also ties into number two. It's inhabited by aliens. Uh, and Thing. So Nazis living harmoniously. Nazis, aliens. So that's really three. There's Nazis, aliens, and then the third, all of them living together. Oh, but okay. the idea there is that's where the Nazis are waiting for us. Of course, unless they're not on the moon base that they had um, with the alien technology that they were given that they didn't use to win the war they needed to, but just to retreat to some far off planet or under are, the earth. Are they like just waiting for the white Aryan people to come along? Like they're waiting for that situation? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what they're waiting for. I mean... Germany, to be honest, has never done better without them. They're like the they're doing really great. Uh, everyone's I think they kind of maybe they left and they came back and they're like, you know what? It is better. Let's just stay, let's just stay away. Um, I don't know, but that is one. I can't, I can't poke any holes in that theory. So you you've convinced me. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Okay, number I kind of went through number two, number three, the aliens. There is a there is another theory. It is not aliens. It is advanced species on Earth that were forced underground by uh, natural disasters. And so there, there are species with advanced technology underground that eventually when they came out, 
when it was okay for them to inhabit the earth again, we were here. Or it still isn't good for them to inhabit the earth because they lived in a time that was like millions of years ago and the atmosphere and ecology has changed so much. I see. I see. I just um, want to make it clear. I don't believe in any of this. I just think it's fun and I like to know yeah. the series. What? Um, well, do you think? Do you think the director is sort of like just poking fun at these people? Do you think he's a believer in this stuff? Like, what do you think he's kind of saying with this whole section of the movie? So there's 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 a couple of theories here uh, when it comes to this. One is that it is exactly that. It is just it is pure imagination, and that it's really symbolizing something else. I mean, like honestly, like. You're talking about alien, like it's you, you want something else. You just want something out there other than us. You're hoping right. that there's something in the vastness of space. There's something else out there. And that is hope. That is optimism. Even if it's something bad, then I think it's the idea of, well, we'll come together as a people to fight it or to, whatever it is. There's just something that there's bigger than us. Um, so my kind of take on what like the director was sort of trying to do is that like, if you, I think for the majority of people, they don't believe in this uh, hollow earth theory. And so they see it when you see it on screen, it's this ridiculous concept. But it's also this way of pushing you further into the movie and making the final fight, I think, actually a little bit more believable because you've done such an unbelievable kind of excursion in the middle of this movie. I think the other thing it does is like, if you do believe in these conspiracy theories, I think you love this because it's like, you can be like, hey, this guy gets what I'm saying. Like, you know, he doesn't do it in a way that's like, like hating on it at all he just kind of does it and like king kong goes there and it's not like a there's nothing negative said about it so i think he kind of straddles the fence the right way with it i would agree and i realized i was probably speaking way too dramatically about the hollow earth theory uh, again i don't believe in it but i what i like about fantasy is i was saying it's about believing in something else and to your point i think he gives it the right amount of respect where i think like if you do believe in it it's like a good, it's a good rendering of it. I thought it was a yeah, cool re yeah. re rendering of it. And I like, they do, they do try to explain it. They do, do try to explain the science behind it or how it could possibly work with the gravity inversion. Again, not saying they don't really explain it, but like he respects it. They treat it respectfully. Yes, right. And at the Can same, I... and at the same time to see it. And it's like, as someone who again, reads these conspiracy theories without believing them once I see it, I'm like, there's no fucking way that's possible. So it's like helpful for me, just like, um, and I like it on both levels. Like, so that's why that I like that. So here's my favorite question about this part of the movie, about the hollow earth. And like, you get in there and suddenly King Kong's like in this uh, magical jungle with these amazing creatures and there's an atmosphere and there's trees growing. Here's my question, Jake, where's the light coming? We're in the center of the earth. There's no sun. How are we seeing, how is this not total darkness? Where is the light source? Seth, Seth, Seth. You didn't <laughs> let me finish, and now you embarrassed yourself again. Elves, the other <laughs> world. There's a concept of a world where there's a light in one of these subterranean realms. What is it? Is it crystals? Is it the Earth's surface being reflected? Is it something filtering down, maybe from the oceans? I don't know, Seth. I don't. I don't listen. I don't subscribe to these theories. And there's not two more I could tell you about, but I'm not going to. I don't I don't get it. But uh that thought hit me in the middle of that sequence and I couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, where where is the sun? Where is this light source coming from? My theory was why the fuck is Kong leaving? This is exactly what he wants. 
Uh, well, no, I, I mean, I understood. He, so, okay, let's talk about that. Okay. He goes to this, like, King Kong temple and pushes the doors open, which is an obvious reference to the older movies where he's, like, kind of behind these gates, right? Pushes that open, finds the axe. Can we and, quickly note how in every other film it was man pushing the gates to find Kong? Right, And this yeah. time it was Kong pushing the gates to find his gods or ancestors or whatever it is. Correct. Um... And so, but he gets there, and I, I recall him looking back at the weird, it's not a spaceship because they're in the middle of the Earth. It's like a heave is what they call it or something. But he looks back at that aircraft, and he sees the deaf girl, right, that he's trying to protect the Inuit uh, from the island that he's from. And I believe the whole thing for Kong was about protecting her from the other Titans and whatnot. And so that's what he looks back at her. And then he charges the axe. That was my interpretation of why it's like he doesn't just hang out in the jungle for the next 10 years. No, you're right. Now that you say that, that takes – that is the take. <laughs> that, yeah, that's because what Because the Godzilla films, it was him – there was this kind of question was of whether Godzilla choosing the humans or the humans choosing Godzilla or like just like were the humans helping Godzilla defeat the other titans like – and then in this one, it's very clearly the humans choosing Kong. Right. And also, I think I missed it. Like, uh, or At first, the, they don't it, know why Godzilla is attacking Hong Kong, and they don't understand the mecha Godzilla is being built there. And so it seems like Godzilla's like turned evil on humanity, and, and Kong's kind of the only titan around that's known. You know, it's like kind of the situation in the beginning, I guess. <laughs> I do just want to say, as a, as a big fan of Greek mythology, I love how they use the titans Yes. To try and bring them together. And also, as we mentioned, the Hollow Earth. By the way, one more thing about the Hollow Earth. <laughs> I actually, I had, we had a lot of fun with the theories. I think we, I spoke to them for five minutes. And there are, like, the, I mentioned elves. Like, that's true. Like, there are, even there's Native American mythology. Like, apparently humans came from under the ground. Like, it is. There, they were cave dwellers for a long time. So. Exactly. Oh, there's a chain, there's apparently a chain of caves that connects, like, from France all the way up to Turkey. Like, uh, subterranean caves from thousands of years ago like it's real like right it's and there's a, there are like uh there's islands like out near the like new zealand and the peloponnesians where like they've found like actual kind of hobbit people that were like tiny people that like lived in little places and it's like those like people like that were like elf elfish type things there was a time you know way back when when there were multiple primates walking around that were humanoids like those things existed you're correct they're calling them hobbits basically shorthand they right. lived 20,000 years ago and they were the size of hobbits as like we or elves as we describe them. Yeah. And like, you know, they do the Kubrickian thing too of like he has the, you know, he finds his tool in that temple and he picked it up and it's very cinematic and everything. And then, but also Godzilla is the one that kind of realizes it needs the charge to be effective. And it's like in the most critical moment, Godzilla is the one that like understands all and processes all that. And so. I like how they tried to show the intelligence of both animals at different times. I mean, some of the sign language stuff with King Kong, I, it was just a little, it was too funny for me. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't watch him emotionally sign. And like, I don't know, I just found it all funny. <laughs> Let's dive into it. Because I thought the Peter Jackson film did a good job of him emoting without sign language. It would make sense. I get why they did the sign language and having it with a girl. But, so are you, you're a fan of the Peter Jackson movie. Yeah, so okay. let me quickly caveat that. I like <laughs> the original, so that the three-hour Peter Jackson theatrical film that I saw, 
Yes. I saw it once or twice in theaters, and this is the time where I was seeing it. Like I, I saw the real. I saw old Lord of the Rings films like five to six. Yeah, times that's in his first movie off of the trilogy, right? Yeah. Um, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was. It was a huge deal. Sorry, what, which movie were we just talking about again? <laughs> the, the Peter Jackson King Kong oh. with Jack Black, right? Oh and it's God. like he's like Peter Jackson's coming off the three Lord of the Rings movies. You know, he's won a bunch of Academy Awards for Return of the King, and it's like he chooses. King Kong to be his, you know, he wants to do his, it really hadn't been done big since the 70s, and so he, like, I liked that he did that choice, I thought it fit him, I was excited for that movie, for me, it just didn't, I didn't connect with, I thought Jack Black was, like, a kind of a weird choice for the lead, it was kind of too long of a movie, some of the CGI wasn't my favorite, I think those would be my quick critiques. I, I liked it, I thought that it was, I was disappointed. Because I couldn't believe how disjointed it was. Yeah. The first hour, it takes him an hour to like see King Kong get to the island, and it's too much time with bad characters. But then once you get to the island, I really liked it. And no, he didn't do a good job building any of the characters, but I liked Naomi Watts. This is like right after the ring. She was, she was pretty good in it. Yes. She was good in it. I thought I liked how they developed her relationship with King Kong, which sounds silly, which was portrayed by Andy Serkis. I really liked the King Kong portrayal and like the way he was done um the I, final action scene also wasn't terrible on the empire state building actually i, I like that i also loved my one of my favorite scenes i i liked the cast of the crew and it's a really good crew, but like even they're not done well like nobody was done well like none of the perform it was all just so corny but to me it was all spectacle but it was good spectacle and so like it kind of being like I thought two thirds of the film were really good, so I was like, "It's probably seventy percent." But then I saw the director's cut a few years later in college, with like a fun group of dudes, and we made literally made a day out of it. And the first hour was still there, and it sucked. And then we hit the two-hour mark, and we find out where we knew going in there was an extra hour, and we realize there hasn't been any new things. And that we were going into, there hadn't, basically, we had three hours left. And we, right. an enti- we hadn't seen the next hour. Spoiler alert, it all takes place on the island. It is incredible. Like, the better movie was there. They needed to cut, really. That 50, opening part, yeah. Cut 50 minutes from the opening part, have them get to the island. Like, just cut everything. Like, literally, throw them right in the middle of the action. Because it was incredible it was this there were two sequences that shouldn't have been cut one on the water where they're attacked by this like aquatic monster and then they're attacked by uh, triceratops and there was two other scenes i can't can't remember exactly what they are now off the time i had but and it it wasn't just bad action someone who watches a lot of director's cuts sees a lot of cut scenes this was better this was like marvel level cut scenes like these were movie ready like like the emotions on King Kong's face are pretty readable throughout the movie. I they mean, did a good job. You nailed it. He's the character. He's the main character. Yeah. It's told through his view. He gets his ass kicked, but like he survives. At the end of the day, he survives. And again, you talk about the protagonist being representative of the audience. I think after what people have gone through in 2020, that's a pretty good story for someone to take. Like you've been through the fucking ringer. 
but like you're still standing and you survived a couple beasts thrown at your way. Like it's not only the the multiple beasts of COVID and everything else that that entails. Yes, yes. And it's also like, you know, the way they leave it. So <laughs> my interpretation after the final, you know, they killed Mechagodzilla and then they're kind of walking away from each other, but then they kind of look at each other and Godzilla gives his roar and King Kong kind of, are they kind of communicating between roars there in terms of like, we're going to call it a day and like, do you think that's uh we're gonna meet again later or like we'll only come out again under these circumstances? I couldn't quite you know, it's like maybe it's just that they're gonna go recuperate and then fight later. <laughs> I think that was your classic like the enemy and my enemy is my friend. And then yeah. that was the at the end, like them acknowledging, like, yo, he's gone. But we're cool. Well, yeah, it's like we did it. Yeah, we needed each other for that moment, so we're not going to take each other out right now. Yeah. Also, I mean, like... It, it does feel like there's going to be some sort of sequel to this one. I though. mean, that's why that's why King Kong wasn't destroyed in the first fight. Uh, yeah. Like you probably really could have lost that. For, yeah, Godzilla could have dragged him to the bottom. That's the end of the I liked how the human saved him. It made sense. It was the... Yes. Like, it's really... I mean, like, in terms of making sense, I'm, like, using triple quotations... Um, it, but at the same time, like Godzilla is also not just a monster. Like Godzilla is going after Mecha Godzilla. He spares King Kong twice. Like yeah, Godzilla is the, the hero weapon. of the film. Yeah, 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 and does the yeah the critical charge the axe. He, he, I mean, that's what uh, Godzilla. It's always supposed to be. He saves humanity from the monsters at the end of the day, and it's like he saved humanity from their own monster in this one. Maybe that's what we can learn from World War Two. So there's not a World War Three. If that's the lesson of World War Two, that there's no World War Three, then I think I have I think to say, I think the performance that might be most critical of is Kyle Chandler. I don't know if it's his fault, but basically, I thought like he gave six worried looks throughout the movie. I can't remember him saying much. I felt kind of bad that he was even in the movie. <laughs> I agree entirely. But did you see the other Godzilla films? He basically did the same thing there. He's like calling. He's like basically texting his daughter, like, beep, 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 beep. "Are you okay? What's wrong?" Like, "Oh, you're with the monster." He. He's just a worried dad for the. It's just like he's not doing. I, I, why wasn't he the? I mean, I get you can't do this, but like I felt like he should have been the Alexander Skarsgård part. Like send him to Center Earth or whatever, or Hollow Earth. Like I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know what Kyle Chandler was doing in the movie. Okay, we're hitting on a couple of things here that I definitely <laughs> want to talk. That I definitely just want to dive into quickly. Okay, first of all, Kyle Chandler. His character. This is mean because I. I know he's a good actor and I've seen him. He's really good in movies. I've seen him be good. It, he, I like him in Wolf of Wall Street. He's good. He, he can go up against big, big names. Yep. But they never want him to do that in this. Like they treat him like he's a, they treat him like a TV actor, like from Friday Night Lights, yeah. Yeah, which I right. don't like because he's more than that and he's a better actor, but they never I, let yeah. him like demonstrate that. I, I totally agree. He needed to be more involved. You know, why isn't he on that warship, like, saying stuff when Godzilla first attacks him? You know, it's like, I, he just needed to be more in the center. Of he just It just felt like he was somewhere else 
with nobody else in the cast, and he was worried about his daughter. And I was just like, I could not have cared less about his character. I mean, the separation from the daughter, like, if you're going to have him connected to anyone, it would be them. Or, like, why not Rebecca Hall's character? Yeah. Or Skarsgård. It, I would imagine it's a tight circle of people who have who have dealt with the, these people. And by people, I mean these monsters. Um, oh, can I also tell you what one of the most outrageous interchanges in the movie, I thought, is like, Rebecca Hall is at the Skull Island facility. Alexander Skarsgård just shows up and is like, hey, I got to take King Kong to Antarctica to find Hollow Earth. And Rebecca Hall is just like, okay. <laughs> it's like, that's the conversation? Like, you just show up there and say Antarctica and she's agreeing? I mean, I get that it's like, it's a stupid movie and we gotta move quickly, but that scene was just, like, laughably crazy to me. <laughs> Again, I can't knock it, because that opening credit scene pretty much pounds away any logic expectation I had when it's like, kill Carol, and shows every monster that they'd each killed leading up to it. Um, quick side note on that. Three films were spent building up to this film. Two what was the third one? By the way, I remember Godzilla and Skull Island. What was the third one? I can't remember the third one. There are two Godzilla films. Oh, there's two of them. I did not realize that. I <laughs> yeah, I believe so. Right, is Kyle Chandler in both of them? Seth. <laughs> Seth. No, 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 no. You're embarrassing yourself. I'm um, sorry I'm not uh, fully up to date on everything. Aaron Johnson, Brian Cranston, and um, I think Ken Watanabe were in the first one. Ken Watanabe was in the second Godzilla. Oh, I do remember. Well. And Watanabe wasn't in this, though, was he? No, he dies in one oh. of the other films. Uh, I think he dies bringing Godzilla back to life. What was funny is, like, I kind of... it went, Like, this is just me. Yeah, there's two. Godzilla yeah. and God, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Okay. What would have been crazy, I actually kind of wanted it to tie in more to like the Matthew Broderick Godzilla and the Peter Jackson King Kong for some reason. But I think that's just because like, that's just when I grew up or something. But like, I don't know. I like Skull Island. Of those of these movies, I think I'd, I'd like King Kong, Godzilla 1, and Skull Island 2. And these other two Godzilla movies would be like 3 and 4. <laughs> yeah. Thermal, yeah. Yeah. Now... No, no, I would. I, I I would give it to Peter Jackson. I put it in the middle of the pack. Oh, if you I was just saying of like this monster verse that they've created. If we're gonna like that Peter Jackson one, I put I would put it in the middle of the pack too. Yeah. By the way, the seventies. I like the seventies Jeff Bridges King Kong. I, I need to watch that one. I've never seen it. By the way, the, I was gonna say they spent three movies building to this film, Godzilla versus King Kong. They they spent one movie building the Batman vs Superman, so I just want I just want to note that this Godzilla universe dedicated more films to building the Batman. Let you but that's a very similar Squad. ending where the two people who are versus each other like actually team up and fight together. You know, it's a very similar concept. That's how they all exist. Yeah. I mean, although, like Freddy and Jason didn't end that way. <laughs> Seth. You ask the question, I'm going to give you the answers. You want to know what topics I want to discuss. <laughs> Number one, Alexander Skarsgård. Hmm. What are your thoughts? So, quick, so where I'm coming from, 
where I'm coming is, well, that didn't sound correct. We're going to edit that out. Where I am coming at this from is that I first knew of Alexander Skarsgård from a little show called True Blood. Maybe you heard of it. Um, totally joking there. Huge, huge show. He was he was probably one of the biggest draws of it. He seemed to be the biggest draw for every girl I knew who watched it. Like everyone loved him. He hasn't had the, I believe, success in terms of. Let's just be like box never. office. He hasn't. The, yeah. He hasn't had the movie box office success. But he's been really successful on TV and Big Little Lies, um, as yep. I said, but and that's not a knock. He's been really good on premium TV, like award-winning good, and he's mm-hmm. had some good performances. And this is actually one of my, I think the better performances he had. It, it wasn't his best. I I thought it was for for him. I thought he was pulling off two of the three things he was going for. He's not quite doing the brainy thing for me, but I thought he was had this like strange quirky charm that really worked. Um, and he could also be sad and that sounds weird, but like a lot of his role is being sad. I think he was driving the character and that was believable. So for me, it's like two out of three is good. And I liked it. And I think he, as a white man of all the characters, I think he's the one I'm supposed to identify with. And I identify with him on a pretty basic level there. Yep. I, you know, I thought he was an interesting choice. Um, I know he's the son of Stellan Skarsgård, who's like a really acclaimed actor, done a lot of great character work. And I think that's like, I'm sure he wasn't, you know, the first choice for this part. Like you could, you could have gotten a big, a bigger name here and uh, tried to get more, you know, I think a lot of the money obviously went into effects and action sequences. And so it's like, you kind of have to like, work with an actor like this i think uh in your primary role he's kind of supposed to be like 15 years ago this would have been bruce willis you know even today you could you know if you got chris pine or something he could have he could have given a, a little more name recognition to the role but it's like i mean I, there's I, a version where jack black could be this character right, right yeah you could also go with somebody a little more comedic you could there's a lot of choices you could make i think he was probably right you know, he's more of a TV actor, like you were saying. So it's like he's kind of a guy that has chops, but like could probably make it to the next level. So, yeah. I, so I was just going to say, like, I think it actually, the role also shows like a different side of him. You know, if you watch him in Big Little Lies, that's a pretty dark role and he plays it pretty well. But this, it's like he gets to be a lot more just like show, show that you can just like kind of have fun with the movie and lead a movie, not get in the way of anything, I guess. I don't, I didn't feel like he was doing anything with his performance. I was mean, like, whoa, what is this guy? You know, he was just kind of like, I felt comfortable with him taking me to the center of the earth, I guess. You know, he wasn't distracting me. There's so much going on in this movie. You want your human characters to kind of be just relatable people that, that can you can say a quippy or a funny line now and then, but it's like, just don't get in the way of what's happening. Here. I think you nailed it. He really grounds the movie in a weird way. Yeah. With with an energy that works for this film. Like, I think that's the best way. It's a weird energy, but he pulls it off. And the, what I liked about this is, now that we're thinking, it's not an insult when I say he's a TV actor. Like, I, sometimes I mean that as an insult. I don't mean it for him because he's really good on the TV things he's been on. Like, True Detective yeah. to me is better than any movie. Like, 
Right. Like there are like Breaking Bad is as good as any crime movie. Like even Big Little Lies is like a movie level type of show. And I love and I actually love Big Little Lies. So like for me, what I think he excels and his best roles have been the roles where he's had to be reserved. And there is this there is this and that sounds weird to say about a vampire and this awful <laughs> character in Big Little Lies because there is violence and there is um, there's violence in both those characters, but he plays them for like 90% of the time as calm and cool. And like this as a shark, like it's only a fin above water. You're only seeing like 5% of what's really there. And it's like, there really is a monster underneath the surface, uh, the closer he gets. And this is a very different performance. This is a, Hey, I'm a, sad guy and his story is sad but i'm a sad smart tall quirky blonde genius guy who's going to the center of the earth but i don't by the way i'm gonna jumpstart king kong's heart with like a nuclear bomb yeah like i don't really want to but oh hey do you know what we should bring this giant gorilla (laughs) like let's bring the giant gorilla because you I mean, we need, some, we need someone that knows the way. Yeah. I was like, oh. It seemed like you could have just followed that hole. Oh, well, I mean, I love when it's like, oh, no, well, do you know how we control it with a child? Oh, so bring a child on the thing that's probably going to, oh, yeah, that's great. And the mom. We, we can't. And we can bring the mom. Time. We can bring the mom, too. Can we get the grandparents on the flight? Any siblings? <laughs> can we wipe out an entire indigenous tribe? Any endangered animals like that how- shocked me too when they put the kid on the thing i was like wow there's just no regard for human life here. i mean the battle of hong kong was also like <laughs> the but can i ask you this do you think alexander skarsgård has the potential to be better than his father i'm gonna ask you a big question now how would you describe Stalin Skarsgård, because I love him, but I have an assessment that might sound kind of brutal. I feel but... like he's like a high-end character actor, is what I would say. You know, it's like he's not a leading part, but, you know, like, he's that guy Goodwill Hunting, you know? It's like he gives you a nice guy in that part for Robin Williams to kind of go back and forth with. I was say, I think he is a supporting, best supporting actor nominee. Always in the run. Yes. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think... Alexander Skarsgård, I don't know if he'll ever be nominated for an award, but I could see him leading a, a franchise, a movie. Yeah. I could see him being a leading man. Um, You're right. And he I'm has not, more, yeah. And he I'm has not more saying like, well. and I mean like, he's, I mean, he's, lead, that sounds, wow. He's a leading man in this film. What a yeah. jerk comment from me. Wow. Let me take no, it but it's like, I mean, hey, it's this film. And like we said, you could have got a lot bigger names here. And so it's like, this is the type of film where you start off a leading man career, too. It's not like you're going to start off with Oscar material. You know, you start off with something like this, and then you go to the next thing. I think you're right. He has the potential to lead movies or carry movies, whereas, like, his father was really more like an auxiliary piece that you, you know, attached to a movie once you had everything going kind of thing. His brother is Pennywise in the new It film. Oh, is that right? I didn't realize that. I, yeah, the all. I think there's a couple brothers, right? There are. I think another is an actor on the Vikings. Wow. Well, I hope they become like the Baldwin brothers at some point. <laughs> Let's hope they do better than the Baldwins, at least as a collective. Wow. How could you do better than the Baldwins, Jay? <laughs> I'm not talking about Alec. I'm talking about the <laughs> other four. 
you're right. You're right. Yeah. What's the, what's the, you know maybe the Wilson brothers? Maybe that's a better bar to shoot for. <laughs> I'm going Hemsworth. Oh, okay. Wow. You got three. Even the older brother, now he's on Westworld. I think he was on three seasons of Westworld. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He had a nice cameo in Thor Ragnarok. He's got a nice little... I think he was a long-time actor on an Australian daytime Emmy. I don't know, Seth. I don't, I don't know these things. I just, I just wonder. Um, okay, next question for you. Two. I don't remember what I was going to say. But second <laughs> question for you. Rebecca Hall is the other lead in this film. I was Talk a little back and forth on her. Um, I mean, Seth, it don't seems be like shy. She, You're holding back. I don't want you to be shy. It's it just okay. So Rebecca Hall. It, she, first of all, she just seems out of place in the movies. <laughs> like it just seems like she should be in like a serious movie or TV show, and like for her to be in this ridiculous action movie. I mean, it's nice to have someone that brings a little emotional depth to it but at the same time it's like you're like this mom to a inuit deaf girl that's communicating with the gorilla and you're journeying i mean i just felt like i think i would have enjoyed someone who was a little more on the comedic end in that role instead of the dramatic side um i get that you can't i mean i think she was involved in previous movies or something so they didn't i don't know but she just seemed out of place to me um it didn't it wasn't totally the right feel i don't think she was horrible she didn't ruin the movie in any way it's just if you had someone that was a little funnier, maybe that works a little better. That's my thing. <laughs> the more we talk about it, I feel like there's a version of this film with you just need two different leads. Like it doesn't need to be like even written that differently, just with like different chemistry. Paul, Rebecca Hall and Kyle Chandler both felt out of place in the movie. It, it just it just felt weird. <laughs> agreed. Uh, agreed. I like Rebecca Hall. Where I always, the reason I bring her up is I really like her. And I, like, from The Prestige, was the first time I really, like, knew about her. But the She's town, in The Town, too, right? Yeah. yeah, and then that was the other one. Like, The Prestige and then The Town, it was like, oh, whoa. Like, she's good in The Town. Yeah, like, she's got momentum. And she's, she was in other films. She, I didn't see all of them. And then she was supposed to be in Iron Man 3. And she was in Iron Man 3. And then Iron Man 3 did really well, made a billion dollars. But the villain, Aldrich Killian, was just kind of like plan B. It was another uh, bad white guy in a suit, which is now like a huge Marvel trope. And I'm not saying that as like, uh, oh, don't villainize the white man. I'm saying that as like, uh, it's, it's every, I know who the bad guy is in like 90% of the movies from the trailer. Um, but. It turns out that in Iron Man 3, Aldrich Killian was supposed to be the throwaway villain who was the front, and Maya Hansen was the real villain. Oh. And the famous Marvel executive board of six six business, like high-ranking business executives at Marvel and, and Disney, who basically had nothing to do with movies or storytelling, like literally the heads of like, Mark of uh, toy production, TV shows, like had final say and all this input. And they said, and Ike Perlmutter, who's famous for awful decisions when it comes to and ruining great comic book films, said kids would never buy boy kids aren't gonna buy a female toy. She can't be the main villain. 
Wow. So they and they changed the script at the last minute, made her a, a small villain, and, and guess what? Aldrich Killian sales <laughs> did not do well. It wasn't it wasn't a win, and nobody remembers him as being a good villain. And then everyone heard that she was supposed to be the villain, and everyone said, "Hey, do you know what would have been really cool for the first Marvel villain to be this woman without superpowers and just be a smart woman? Like that would have been really cool." Oh. But toy sales, we get it. Like we get it. So, <laughs> Can um, I ask you this? What uh, if you were like doing a sequel to this movie? It seems like they'd get Godzilla and King Kong back together. But my, I actually think, I think the next where they should go with these monster movies is they should try to develop one or two other like maybe new unique monsters, and then kind of like bring King Kong and Godzilla back into the fold and try to make like a bigger universe of this stuff. What do you think of that? I agree. And do you know who the third monster should be? Who should that be? Cthulhu. Who is that? Or Cthulhu from Lovecraft mythology. Are you familiar? I'm not. <laughs> you might be without realizing it. Have you ever seen the image of a giant squid-like monster rising out of the ocean? A kraken. Yes, but more humanoid. Like, oh, okay. Like, uh, imagine... Just imagine more humanoid, like with arms, like uh, like individual arms, and like okay. a more. It's not just one straight body; like there's a neck and like a torso, but yes, yeah, still very squid-like. Google it. Where I'm going with this is Lovecraft mythology is very popular. It's become very popular recently. It's part of a cosmic mythology, and a couple of years ago. They were going to do a movie called The Mountains of Madness. It was going to be directed by Guillermo del Toro and Tom Cruise. But then Ridley Scott made Prometheus, and it really was a similar oh, I plot. See. Even though it's not, but clearly Guillermo del Toro thought it was. He's also famous for committing a really cool project like The Hobbit and then backing out. It's a whole other thing. But Guillermo del Toro... They were going to do it. Look up in terms of movies that should have been made that weren't. Tom Cruise, hmm. Guillermo del Toro, Mountains of Madness. It's a cool story. Read it if it's you have to read that it. interesting. Um, I think that's all. Are you ready for final scores here? You got any other notes or things you want to throw at me? The only other thing, there are two things I was going to say, and they're both connected. Okay. One, I thought the cast, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I thought it was a really diverse cast and like representative cast in a way that felt it just felt organic it didn't feel like pandering i'm sure it was pandering it was one of the few things in the film that did feel organic um yeah but it was also like it makes sense like yeah i just wanted to call that out and the uh, but th then there's a flip side to that the incredible cast of damian bashir kyle chandler julian dennison Brian Tyree Henry, who's actually great. Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall. Only Brian uh, Henry Tyree, or excuse me, Brian Tyree Henry, really shines. Like, he's the only one who's, I think, given anything. I don't think it's like he's given stuff that allows him to do it. Like, he just kind of takes the ball and, and runs with it. Yeah. He yeah, owns I... every scene he's in, and everyone else is just kind of like, it's like a video game plot. And they're just jumping from point to point with, like, no sense. He's the only, like, real character in the sense of the word character. Everybody else is just kind of, like, playing a human being 
in the midst of a disaster or something. And so, yeah, I think he he gives a nice performance. Um, and it's like he gives the most kind of meta performance, too. That's like representative of all these fringe conspiracy theorists that are getting more and more popular. And it's just, I enjoyed that whole, and it, even going to the center of the Earth, it's just like, it was just kind of funny to see somebody kind of lightly satirize that whole culture. And and to do it not in like a hurtful way, to just kind of do it in a funny way. All right, final scores. I'm going to say, I mean, I enjoyed this movie. I came out of it as a thumbs up. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. All types of references to other movies. Really enjoyed the action sequences. The biggest problems are, are some of those human actors that we kind of went over. Not that it wrecks the movie in any way. It's a spectacle movie, and you have fun with it, and you go for the roller coaster ride, basically. I'm going to give it like a 7.4. I think it's like a really watchable monster movie. Love it. Love it. Love it. I think I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it a 6.7. And I'm not trying to big dog you here. That's fine. <laughs> I'm giving it a six seven. As you know, my bar is also lower. Like my bar is five for being good. Like yeah, to me, yeah. a five or above means like watch it, it's good, it's worth your time. So just keep that in mind. Six seven. The reason I'm giving it that I like Skarsgard. He pulls the movie along. The action scenes are great. The movie's still unbalanced, but it has a good blend of humor, action. And it does get me to feel some things, I think, when I need to. So, like, it's all, it's hitting on all those notes. But, yeah, the story is just hot garbage. Um, the mythology is, like, a nice idea. But it's just, like, again, going to Prometheus, it's these cool ideas. They never tie, really tie together. So, it's it's just, like, it's not, you don't even get really get that much credit for the effort because there's not that much effort. But, again, it's fun. I enjoyed it. I was rooting the whole time. And I think it ends with a really good third act. Yeah. Where the action like kind of takes over. All right. All right. There you go. Watchful movie. Conspiracy theories. I think people should go for it. Yeah. Be careful. But by the way, the Earth isn't really hollow. I just want to <laughs> and, make that clear. And we did land on the moon. I want to make that yeah, clear. Yeah, we it, those ha <laughs> those things happen. All right. Good talks. <laughs> Goodbye, people. Read a book. Read a book. <laughs>